we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, Nots? What the fuck, Ricans? Uh, what the fuckstables? Oh, I'm done with it. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the show and enjoying the show. I uh, am sitting here alone in my garage, as usual, having a cup of the just coffee. I seriously am. It's late in the afternoon here. I went to the gym for the first time in weeks and, of course, overexerted myself in a desperate need to have every muscle that has deteriorated over time reconstitute itself against all odds. All right, so I'm here. I'm sitting here. I'm wasted. I'm wa- I just I overexerted myself out of just this aggravate. There's no angry exercise does not pay off. I got the fucked up Achilles heel. Not a big deal, except I don't know what's wrong with it. I tried to go running. I re-injured it. I don't know. Don't want to go to the doctor. Don't want to go there to spend $150, $200 to have him poke at my heel and for me to go, ow, fuck, and for him to go, yeah, yeah, you got to stay off of this for a couple of weeks. Is that it? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I would stay off it. You sprained it. There's a little something in the thing. So you just got to stay off it. I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm not going to spend $150 on that. This is a important episode to me. Uh, Todd Hansen is on. Todd Hansen, if you don't know, Todd Hansen is one of the original writers for The Onion, the newspaper, as we know it. Uh, the Onion had a profound impact on my life. I remember when it uh, went national. It took over New York. I know that in the early 2000s, uh, The Onion was everywhere. They put boxes up on uh, almost every corner. The Onion was out and in the world, and it was mind-blowingly funny. And it remains mind-blowingly funny. And it's an important uh, satirical rag. It's an important bit of literary satire that happens on a daily basis. I don't hear about it much in terms of where it came from, uh, what it means to our culture. It completely changed the culture. I know there's talk of uh, the onion getting a Pulitzer. I'm all behind that. And I knew Todd Hansen. I've known Todd Hansen for years. Uh, then Todd Hansen disappeared for a while and I didn't know what happened to Todd Hansen. Now, a lot of you people, I just recently got an email from a kid who said, look, hey, Mr. Marin, I'm paraphrasing here. I'd read the whole email, but I don't have it with me. I don't want to pull it up right now. But he basically said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm funny. I want to be funny. I'm starting to be funny, but I'm not fucked up. Does this mean that I'm not going to be funny? Does everyone who's funny have to be fucked up? Now, we've had this conversation before in one form or another. Uh, it's, I'm not breaking any ground by, by uh, having this conversation again. I do not feel that one needs to be miserable or fucked up or, or completely consumed by demons and angst and paralyzing misery to be funny. But I am saying that it helps. It helps if you can get through that to the funny. I've learned over the past couple hundred episodes or however many we've done here that there's plenty of different kinds of comedians and some are more deliberate than others. Some are more calculating than others. But most of them are sensitive. Some of them are depressed. Some of them have other problems. But if you are a depressed person or you're a hypersensitive person, you're an anxious person, or you're an acutely aware person, 
sometimes you need to be funny in order to level the the onslaught of reality, depending on your depth of sensitivity. Sometimes comedy or being funny is a way to 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 channel or to understand or to get control of or to get a handle on the darkness, the pain, the anxiety. Disarm it. It's a way to navigate the swamps of self. To cut through that, you know, sometimes a good joke or a good point of view that can make you laugh a little bit can be a machete, a snake killer, a leech getter offer as you're up to your neck in swamp water or darkness or going down a tunnel. A good joke can be a navigator, a light could be the little light on your hat when you're mining for a better way. That I know. But I'm not saying that you can't be well-adjusted and funny. There's pr- plenty of well-adjusted funny people that are very you know, deliberate and calculating. So this is how this works. This is how the joke works. But if it's coming from your guts and your guts are in turmoil and you need to be funny to survive or to keep things in proper perspective, you're probably going to be not necessarily funnier, but definitely a little deeper with your funny. There's a depth to the funny. All right. If you want to go a few fathoms down, it's got to be life or death down there, man. So you don't get the fucking bends. God, what is this? A metaphor party? Holy fuck. So look, I talked to Todd Hansen. This conversation is a little unique in terms of uh, what we do here on the show and that it, it has two distinct parts. They are both on this episode. I spoke to Todd Hansen in Brooklyn at a hotel. I'm not going to mention the name of the hotel. doesn't matter. It wasn't a nice hotel. It wasn't an unusual hotel for a traveling person to stay at. I didn't know they had one of these hotels in Brooklyn, but I was at a hotel, and I'd been in touch with Todd Hansen. I'd gotten calls from Todd Hansen here and there. Okay, I knew that he struggled with a certain amount of darkness, and that was one of the reasons why he sort of fell out, didn't know where he was for a while. And I would get these calls from Todd saying, Mark, you know, do you know any books, man? I need a book. And there's an urgency to somebody who uh, experiences darkness. You know, when they ask you a question like, you know, I, I need I need a book or I need to know where a restaurant is. I need to know, uh, you know, what's a good CD? Do you, can I borrow that CD that, you know, what they're really asking for is like, I need something to throw me a line so I can try to climb up out of where I am. Do you have that book? Do you have that CD? Do you have that flavor of ice cream? Do you? And I would talk to Todd, but this was the first time that we had really talked. You know, we've known each other for Christ. It's got to be huh, probably 15 years, between 15 and 20 years when he was in New York with The Onion when he moved out to New York. And uh, he used to come around, hang around the comedy thing. We bonded very quickly. But I had not had this conversation. I had not had a long conversation with him. Certainly not the type of conversation we had. So the first part of this conversation took place in my hotel room. And we had talked about some stuff before that conversation. And we didn't know whether or not we were going to get to it. Because he didn't know whether or not he was ready to get to it. 
It's heavy. And we didn't get to it during the first conversation. But we did get to it in the second one. So let's listen to Todd Hansen, and I'll talk to you in between. And uh, enjoy this, because The Onion should be celebrated. It changed the entire face of American uh, satire uh, in the last decade. So uh, this is me and Todd Hansen at an unnamed hotel in Brooklyn, New York. So Todd Hansen in a hotel room in Brooklyn. Uh, you wrote for The Onion. You're still on the, uh, what do you call it? Masthead? Yes. Yeah. I don't have any kind of important role at The Onion. I've just worked there for like 20 years. There's there's no point in going on about like, what's going on at The Onion now? What are you doing at The I, Onion well, now? No, I don't care about that. But I mean, to me, when The Onion made its move, there was a period in time when I lived here in New York, right. in my recollection, where all of a sudden, you know, The Onion was a website that eventually, you know, occasionally I would get links to. Like, I'm not, I don't eat a lot of media personally I, I don't really either actually and then all of a sudden the onion was everywhere on my computer like you got to go this got to go this and then one day in new york the onion was everywhere in uh in little uh, i don't even know what you call them free kiosks free, the little boxes on the street we can get the shit for free is that what they're called can when I you buy them on this of course I swear, yeah but i mean i thought there might be a name for that thing the, the free newspaper thing distribution box the distribution box we're all over yeah and you were part of that well, yeah, we had moved here in, in uh, 2001, and looking back, uh, it turned out to be just the best possible year to move to New York City. Yeah, and, there, was a very, uh, it, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of heat on New York in 2001. It was a great, fulfilling, wonderful uh, place to be in 2001, and um, little did we know we had like, you know, the most traumatic mass murder of our generation waiting around the corner after we moved here, but... Um, but uh, yeah, it was around that time that I, that we met, and I remember coming to New York and wanting so badly to, you know, like experience like cool comedy as opposed yeah. as opposed to just like regular comedy, you know, and um, I never had access to it before, and so I got here and our uh, our PR guy at the time was a guy named Michael O'Brien. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, he was my PR guy for a while. I know Michael since he was a uh, a little PR guy. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. And yeah. anyway, he said he said, "Oh, well, you got to go to Luna." Luna. Yeah. So I go to Luna and it takes me like two or three visits to Luna to figure out that the guy that is the genius of Luna is this yeah. guy Mark Mary? Oh. Like this is this guy. Like I singled him out. It's like okay, this guy's amazing, kindred spirit. Yeah, and uh, and uh, to that day, you know, since since that time, yeah. you, you've moved around. You've lived in New York sometime, lived in California other times. Yeah. You've lived around, and every time I run into you, it's it's good because uh, I feel like okay, somebody who can understand me. Yeah, it was um, always I like did. That. I go. I do want to say though, I had I had the most hilarious um, telephone call from you about. I don't know, three months ago or something. Did I call you or did you call me? Well, I called you and you called me because I said, hey, we were both in Satteristas. We haven't talked in a while. Right, right, right. And then you called me back and then you even followed up. Yeah. Because uh, because I told you, oh, man, I'm depressed. You yeah. Know, this and that. And you said, oh, you got to read Sam Lipside. He just came out with a new book, The Ask. It'll make you feel so happy. Read the read the Ask. Come on, Todd. You're, in your, like, you're a cheerleader for me. You're yeah. on my side. Yeah. And I felt good. And then... And then I didn't get back to you for a while, and about six months later, you gave me a follow-up call. <laughs> six to, months? Just to be a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. And this is the call. May, may I tell your listeners what sure. the call was? Okay. I, I thought this was classic, Mary. The call was you were driving, okay, right. and, you were, and you were on your cell phone. Yeah. And you said, hey, Todd Hansen, this is Marin. 
Listen, um, I'm uh, I'm driving right now, uh, and I'm on my way to a psychiatric specialist <laughs> who specializes in sexual. And then it just went <laughs> because it broke up because you're driving, and so I thought the message was over. You know, like there's like you know thirty seconds, of <laughs> and then it comes back in clearly, and I hear you go because of uh, my recent behavior <laughs> so i hope that uh that makes you feel better about your own life i guess you know and like to this day i don't really know what was in that 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 missing transcript part of the transcript but i don't want to know you know you know like the point is it did make me feel better it made me smile it made me laugh i thought that's classic merit yeah so. I, I probably it was probably a good three minutes or that but I, I, how, how long were you waiting for that to come back on <laughs> yeah well yeah that that happened and uh you know i i uh unlike depression which you know i've experienced in my life um you know compulsive behavior uh is something that you know you can live with a little more comfortably if you if you work it into your schedule, that's right. Yeah, you no, know, or you build your schedule around it. More. <laughs> <laughs> the schedule is secondary to compulsive behavior. Yeah, yeah. How do I fit a life around this? But uh, but you know, before we get into that, now, yeah. So you came. So they you came from Wisconsin. I came from well. I'm, I lived all over the Midwest, but didn't live in Wisconsin until I was sixteen. But then I stayed there till. Uh, 2001 when we moved to New York. Your family was in Wisconsin? Well, my family moved to Wisconsin just for the last two years of my high school. Right. And then I went to UW-Madison, dropped out, and then because I was a loser who had no ambition in life, did not leave the town I had dropped out of college from and just stayed there for like 15 years. What did you? What were you working? I was, wor I was uh, you, if you can call it working, I mean, I call it working. Minimum wage, unskilled labor, 40 hours a week. I think that counts as working. What was your last job like that? I mean, I know what my last... I was a restaurant guy. I was a restaurant guy, I was a, but I was always back of the house because I never wanted to go out and deal with humans. I, I did, couldn't handle the rejection of being a waiter. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't either. So what I did was I was just dishwashing. I used to I used to grill, you know, make sandwiches. Yeah, see, that's skilled labor. I was more in the realm of unskilled labor. I don't know. I could fuck up dishwashing, but I could make a sandwich. <laughs> I got to be a really good dishwasher, man. If like, I may with brag. the machine, with the 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 cable with, yeah, with squirter, the, this cable squirter and the pull down thing. I got to be so fast that they would let me break the normal rules of, of dishwasher. Uh, you were a uh, dishwashing uh, revolutionary. Yeah, they let me break the rules. Like like like, you're supposed to only have a, a cigarette uh, break at certain times. You know, you're supposed to be on time, clock in on time. Because if you don't clock in by you know one, then the lunch dishes are going to pile up too much, and they're right. not going to have enough for dinner sure. or whatever. Yeah. But I could come in at one thirty or two. You know, they didn't care because they knew I was so fucking fast. You knew that if the guy in the shit, no matter you, how piled yeah. up the dishes were, I would just like bam, bam, bam. I would get him. I was. I, I learned. I turned out to be a really excellent dishwasher, which I, is an awful, an awful thing to have to brag about. An awful thing to have to hang your self esteem really. on. I don't know. You know, there's this end to it. You know, because that sound of the the coil squirters in the in the in the restaurant dishwashers against the stainless steel, which was like a thin stainless steel, had a good pop to it. There was a percussion to it. Yeah, yeah. Am I right? You yeah. know what I'm talking about? When yeah. that hit water, it's like you heard that little ping of it. Yeah. 
But I'll be honest with you, some of the best cigarettes I ever had in my life were, you know, in an apron behind a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just out there by the dumpster with yeah. the other dude, Yeah. you know, talking. Yeah. Usually, you know, you go into a restaurant, you've been up all night drinking or on blow or whatever. You're on two hours of sleep and you made it through the rush. And that cigarette where you're just sitting there, like, it's almost, it's... It's victorious. It's like uh, it's like Robert Duvall in, in on the beach in Apocalypse Now. There's a victory to it. Yeah. Am I, well, I, am I romanticizing time, it a little? I remember. I'm, telling, I'm wearing the big rubber apron and I'm sitting out there and I'm smoking. You know. Yeah. And uh, some 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 uh, UW college student, uh, hippie looking. You know, yeah. obviously humanities student. Yeah. Comes by and is taking pictures of like the the sort of urban decay around the he's back. doing his photo documentary work well he's yeah he's doing yeah. his he's doing his you know his freshman you know photo show or whatever. yeah 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 <clears throat> and he's taking pictures of stuff like gnarled trees that are grown into fences yeah, and, you yeah. know like broken down sure. you know uh, brick walls and the, and the, the name of the exhibition is why yeah and something like that and then he anyway he turns to me and he sees me sitting there in my robe smoking and he's like Snap, 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 snap. And I'm like, and I'm like, okay, I've become part of this man's landscape. Oh, his statement about the decline yeah. of America. I'm like part yeah. of it. I the working it. man. Yeah. Against yeah. nature and decay. Yeah. Were you ever already like that? Was I ever already like that? Well, yeah. I used to be a cartoonist. I hardly think that counts as already. But before, like when you were in college for a year, how long were you in college? Oh, I was in college for like four weeks before my girlfriend broke up with me and I just stopped going to class. Is that what spiraled you? Well, looking back on it, I realize now that that was just the first of a series of of uh, major depressions of what what a psychiatrist would call a, ma a major depression. So she couldn't take it. No, I mean, no, no. It, she dumped me, and, and then I and then the I depression. thought I was upset because I got dumped. But I wasn't really upset because I got dumped. I was upset because I was going into a major depression, and and uh, and it wasn't only until much later that I learned more about depression. That I realized, oh, okay, I've been through several of this. Even uh, before her, I mean, as an adolescent. No, that was the first one. But, but okay, well, but I had some traumatic adolescent shit go down. Yeah, I mean, who didn't, right? Well, I don't know. They're all unique. Like, what do you mean? Um, freaky parent issues surrounding a divorce and uh, absentee father and uh, how old were you when your parents psycho got mother and what have you? Exact wrong age, right at puberty. Like 13, 12, 13? Yeah, it was like 12, 11, so 12. So you, you were trying to define yourself uh, biologically and probably uh, as a person. I'm no psychoanalyst, and your dad takes off, and you're left with a crazy mom? Yeah. Now, do you have a relationship with your dad now? Yeah, I do. How long was he split for? Um, well, I mean, he, he he never really split. I mean, he's a very cool guy, so yeah. he was always, like, in touch and everything. Yeah, yeah. But, but um. But yeah, I got a good, you know, I ended up uh, finally moving out from living with my mom and going to live with my dad for the last three years of high school and then, and then ended up in Madison. So With him? I was kind of the guy in the middle of the two, right. is what I'm saying. Like there were three kids, I was the oldest, and I was sort of the one in the middle. Oh, so they were like, your mother, you ought to tell her, that kind of thing? Yeah, well, it was your father, you got to tell him. And, and yeah, and so and what I, kind of, what? I was like in the middle trying to facilitate communication between the two halves. Oh. So you had to be like the diplomat. I had to be kind of the adult, which right. which fucks you up when you're 11. Yeah, it's horrible when your parents are children. Yeah, yeah. And so the uh, that's what my therapist has been trying to say to me. I'm really? going to my therapist right after this, by the way. Oh, you so. get a double dose. Yeah, you yeah. You can be all prepared. Yeah. Maybe you can walk in and go. I'm okay today. <laughs> What's on your mind? Marin, help me out. <laughs> I hope so. 
So, all right. So now the Onion, and how did that come about that you ended up a writer there? Because they were just what were they? They were not a college operation at that time, but well, they were they were college student run, but they weren't through the university. Right. They were just some entrepreneurs uh, uh, who wanted to sell pizza coupons, and they thought, okay, well, you know, they're advertising majors, in other words. Really? Yeah. And uh-huh. and these two guys, um, their names were Chris Johnson and Peter Keck, and they decided they wanted to sell. So these were the original guys. The original guys only ran it for one year, right. 1988. And they decided that they wanted to sell advertising. But in order to do it, they had to have a newspaper. And they didn't want to go through all the trouble of actually writing a newspaper and like researching things. Getting and, reporters. And, and getting reporters. Right. So they just hired a couple of their friends to just make up stupid shit to put between the coupons. And it became a made-up newspaper. And that's how that started. But I worked there for seven years, from 1990 to 1997, before it was a full-time job. And up until then, it was just it was just a hobby. Now, wait, they, so they started in 88? 88, and I started in fall of 1990. They started How'd they find you as a dishwasher? Oh, well, here's the thing. I knew a whole bunch of the people from there because I worked as a cartoonist for the Daily Cardinal, which was one of the UW's papers. Okay. And so I knew Scott Dickers and right. I knew a bunch of the, you know Christine Wentz and some of the people They liked your comics. There. They liked my comics and me and a bunch of other of ca- uh, uh, cartoonists from that page from that Daily Cardinal Comics page which was actually a really good I think it was one of the best college comics pages in the country at the time uh-huh. if I may. Sure. You know, Toot brag your own about horn. That. Why not? Yeah. But uh, a lot of those people were very creative, very intelligent people, and they all sort of left the Onion. I mean, I mean, left the Daily Cardinal and went to the Onion. So it was it was sort of a, a it was sort of a uh, a staff that was culled from a very rich environment of disillusioned and alienated, uh, you know, Gen X slacker types, cartoonists that that existed at that time in Madison and sort of formed organically, almost like you know, into almost like a band, a garage band sure. or something. And then we would do these improv sessions, I mean, I mean, brainstorming sessions, and we would make each other laugh and come up with these stories and assign them and, and do them. But it wasn't for money. I think they paid us like $5 a meeting, and then it went up to like $10 a meeting. And I think at one point it went up to like $15 a meeting, and that was two meetings a week. What was, did you feel with the intention of the original Onion? I mean, were, were you like, was there conversations like, we are a satire of news? Well, here's the thing. I have never owned anything of the Onion. I've never run the Onion. No, I know, but you were sitting there. You know, I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just an employee. But my attitude toward the Onion uh, was always that it was an underground, subversive publication in our in our our mission statement or at least mine you know yeah. was to was to satirize the you know uh society you know truth to power blah 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 satirize the powerful um and uh, point out stupidity in society where you see it so i always thought it had a transgressive or sub- subversive agenda occasionally there have been people on the staff who don't seem to realize that and are just like hey let's just make people you know laugh and make it funny and i'm all for making it funny and making people laugh but i'm not really up to I'm not really into it to cheer people up. I don't think you are either. No. I, you know, yeah. some people go to a comedy club because they're like, oh, I had a long week. Yeah, I want to see a, a clown. a long work week. I want to see a clown. It'll, it'll make me laugh. Yeah. Make me feel better. I'm tired. Yeah. This will make me feel better. Yeah, not my and, people. And then they show up at Mark Maron's show and they walk out just with their head hanging Yeah, low. yeah. Wow, he feels worse than me and, and he seems to have a handle on it, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of the same attitude I always had. I, I, like, I like artists like that. Like, I always like Robert Altman movies. Great. 
because he sets out, you know, he'll 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 set out like a genre, like yeah. it's a western or McCabe a, and Mrs. Miller, uh, yeah, best movie ever, and and it's one of the saddest fucking movies you could ever see. And so like an audience shows up to that, they're like, oh, it's got Julie Christie, it's got Warren Beatty, they're yeah. the two big number one stars right now. It's a western. It's it's from the maker of this big blockbuster mash. Let's go see McCabe and Mrs. Miller. It's going to be this entertaining western. And instead, they see this bleak, horrific yeah. vision of that man of, never killed anybody. Of of of. Uh, <laughs> Of 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 just of just human folly and and destruction, the rise of capitalism. Yeah, and and uh, and and uh, I I always love that when people do that. That's one of the reasons I like your work so much. Yeah, you'll you'll uh, you said something at the last well yesterday at the last podcast you recorded at the uh, at Bell the Bellhouse. House. Wow. And um, and you in you were reading viewer mail and somebody yeah. was saying. Listen, you're funny. The people on your show are funny, but you just got to be a little funnier because you're, you're you're not funny ninety percent of the time. And you got all pissed and said, "Hey, man, sometimes it's not about the funny. Sometimes it's about the sad." And I think I yelled out like, "Hell yeah!" or "Fucking a!" or something like that, because because uh, that's what I've always admired about your work, Mary. That's but but well, thank you. But you know, it comes. To, it's interesting to me that like like I I don't know how to make the connection. I don't know why you keep. Every time you bring up the onion, you go out of your way to say you were just employ, uh, you know, an employee or just a writer. Because you know, when you guys came to New York, you and uh, the other guy, the uh, the sort of um, kind of you know, kind, kind of brittle Jewish guy. What was his name? Siegel. <laughs> Siegel, the guy that wrote The Wrestler. He's a he uh, wrote an Academy Award winning film. But, but it doesn't you know, like my my experience with him. He was always you know I always liked him, but. Uh, but like he, he always seemed to like you know me like he's a little neurotic and defensive and he, he always Jewish yeah Jewish yeah. and uh, but you guys were really the visible I'm kind of an honorary Jew I think at this point even though I'm not Jewish I think you come from uh, you know there there's a there's a tradition of kind of uh, you know swarthy Midwestern funny guys yeah well my dad was a Lutheran minister so I don't have much of a claim on a Jewish heritage but well, Lutheran do, you know, do, at least he was Lutheran I do kind of have the Jewish uh, uh, thing going i don't know but you guys were very visible in terms of representing the onion you know when there was a panel well, or well you know yeah i mean i mean you wouldn't that, have called yourself the head writer at that time i was the head writer at that time somebody else has the title now i'm not sure i mean i'm, I'm not even sure what my title is i think my, my title is like 20 year man or yeah. something like that or but just, you were the head writer when here in new york yeah i was at yeah. that time For, and my what? title has changed various times over the year my well, the titles at the onion are very fluid just kind of like there's a team you know what i mean and, you know, at times I've been called an editor, at other times I haven't been called an editor. At times I was head writer, at other times I was just staff writer. At times I was a screenwriter for that awful Onion movie that got made. Yeah, I think you I know. auditioned for that. Yeah, well, I, every all the best people in New York auditioned for it, and none of them got hired. I was like, what the fuck is going on? That should have been an early warning sign that something was going wrong with that. But, but when 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 the move to New York happened, when the you know the biggest expansion, the Onion, and and I think the 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 kind of vortex of its explosion in terms of cultural relevance was you were the head writer then. I, fair yes. to say, yes. Okay. Now, uh, in terms of where you come from, that in, and you talk about the move in two thousand and one. I mean, everybody was excited about the Onion, and of course, you know the horrible thing that nine eleven happened. And and you and and several other comedic talents were on this precipice of you know you know when can we do this when can we you know start to make not light of it but when can we start doing what we did and and I think that you guys were sort of heralded for for the issue that eventually broke the silence I can't remember what the headline was I think we actually did come out we did start working on that and I think we did come out with that before almost anybody else came back What was the headline? Well, there were many headlines. Um, 
the main headline was U.S. vows to defeat whoever it is we're at war with. Right. Um, which I thought was quite great. There was another front page, head, head, front page headline that I wrote, which was real life turns into bad Jerry Buck, Bruckenheimer film. Yeah. And it had a photo of, you know, like the towers exploding. Yeah. And, then, and then the caption was an actual scene from real life. Uh, you know, yeah. because it looked exactly like a Hollywood, sure. you know, yeah. you know, thing, and then, um, and then uh, I wrote the, the story though that that people always talk about about that issue was not on the front page because the front previous issue's front page had been uh, uh, a headline that said God finally gives shout out back to all his niggas, yeah, and it was just this big long list that God had had announced from heaven of listing all the rappers, you know, yeah. And and so they didn't want to have God on the front page twice, so they put God on the inside. But this is a story that people bring up to me, which was God angrily clarifies, actually it was God angrily re-clarifies, I think, don't kill rule. And he was saying, look, I've been saying this for thousands of years, don't kill each other. Why are you still doing it in my name, claiming it's my will, claiming it's what I want? I put it in simple one-syllable terms that just about anybody can understand. How much more can I explain it? You're pissing me off now. Quit it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and at the end of that story, you know, God actually uh, starts crying. And uh, I was actually crying when I wrote that. I mean, it was, not, it was not a cheerful comedy, cheer people up kind of issue. It was funny, cry, cry, more yeah. than funny, ha, ha. Right. Yeah, which is uh, which is good funny. Well, I mean, it's also the only appropriate way to respond to that situation. Everybody's freaked out. Nobody felt like, hey, hey, let's be anti, uh, you know, establishment while the establishment, you know, lays in burning embers at our feet. You right. Know, you know, it was just not. It wasn't anything anybody felt like. You didn't yeah. feel like being irreverent. Right. Um, uh, normally, the onion loves to be irreverent, and we right. love to get hate mail. Yeah. But when we put that out, we're just like, oh my god, I hope we don't get any hate mail. Because you all felt pretty close to it. Yeah, and we and we did and we did get a lot of hate mail right at the beginning of the day, but then throughout the day, we started getting hundreds and hundreds more, eventually thousands of emails, and ninety percent nine percent of them were not only supportive; they were like ecstatic. They were saying things like. God bless the onion, you know, right. thank you, the onion. Right. Thank you for giving me the first laugh I've had in, you know, a week and a half or whatever it was. And so, this was this was literally in September. Yeah, no, yeah, this was like right after, you know. And did you find that uh, you set a sort of tone? Because, like, the interesting thing about, uh, about the onion, you know, as a comic, I mean, there's been several, <laughs> you know, when I did sort of read it or, 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 or when people would say, did you see this? Or whatever. There's been several times where I'd be like, "Well, there goes that fucking joke." Fuck Todd, you know. They, <laughs> <laughs> like I remember one. Well, you, you, just to, in all fairness to the rest of the staff, I want to point out that it was fuck a lot of other people too. Because no, but I, when you, like okay. I was writing the guy. No, I know, I know that. But you know, yeah. you were my face, right? And and you know, and I'm not sure I even really said that I was making a point. But you you know the the. the I just the, want everybody to get credit. i you know. Well, when even when you did those things, when when you guys when you would come up with a headline, because when you said clarify or reclarify, you know, are there when when someone comes up with a headline and it feels like it's got legs, do you all sit around and sort of chip away at the poetics of it? Yeah, we do. And it's very much a team process, right? It's very much like being in a band. Um, now, lately, in recent years, the has become a lot more of a corporate institution. I mean, it hasn't been bought out by any corporation. It's still an independent little company. I still like to consider it an underground publication, although some people say you can't do that because it's part of the mass media. Yeah, now. who says that? 
But um, who says that? Well, you sometimes people you get say. those emails. You fuckers sold out, man. But it's like no. But we didn't. I mean, you know, you know, we're not. Viacom doesn't own us, right? You, you know what I mean. So, right. So, um, you know, and we're struggling in this economy like everybody else, and we're a small business, and, right? You know, you know what I mean. So, so uh, I uh, and and a lot of people, millions of people all over the country, have no idea what the Onion is. It's not like it's shoved down your throat like Shrek Three or something. You well, know? some people don't know to the degree where it gets used in real news stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the other thing. Yeah, where, where it's it's actually you, you your satire runs so close to the bone, the Onion satire. That you know, in the machine that is the media, you know, people just pick up repeated. stories, right? Yeah. yeah, there's some great examples of that. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it was some, oh, some TV pundit. I can't remember her name. Anyway, she reported we we did a story about something like ninety six percent, ninety six percent of all of all exercise in the United States occurs on television. Yeah. And she reported that, like, as a legitimate, legitimate statistic and talked about what a shame it was. And then, you know, yeah. there, there's been other examples of that. Yeah. And whenever that happens, that's kind of our favorite thing because uh, we like that even more than when people get the joke and well, laugh. It's, it's sort of... Uh, so when it's people what, don't get the joke and think it's real, that's kind of our favorite thing. It's, it's uh, media... What do they call it? Uh, what does Adbusters call that? Uh, it's called, they call it... Um, uh, uh media jamming media jamming yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's a it, it's a great thing because that you know outside of the satire of the piece itself that when it actually enters the media landscape as a reportable fact uh it, it's almost like uh that story becomes an assassin yeah that yeah. you know it's sent in you know a undercover yeah. and then it explodes in the face of mainstream media and then speaking of exploding in the face of mainstream media can i plug uh, some work of a friend of mine sure there's 10 episodes right now on on ifc uh, of a show called ONN, which stands for Onion News Network. I wish I could say I had more to do with that show. I had very little to do with that show because it was mainly done by a different staff than does the paper. Right. Just because there's so much work. You know, right. It's like one staff couldn't do it both. Right. But the people that did do it are great. And one of them is my very best friend in the whole wide world, Carol Kolb, who I've known for years, knew yeah. way back in Madison. And uh, she was the head writer. And every time I watch that show, I'm amazed they got it on TV. It's so dark. Oh, good. Dark. But hopefully it will, it will uh, you know, uh, live on in DVD form or something like that after that. But the wow. point is, all of the characters are unlikable. Like, like, like it's all got all these great reviews, except for some reviews that say, this show isn't going to be a hit. It doesn't have any likable characters. And I'm like, yes, that's the point. It's a news crew. It's, it, a, it's, it's a, a news crew. Magazine everyone, show. Everyone on the news. Well, it's, it's a pretty kind of like a CNN or right. Fox News or any one of those like high yeah. profile cable news shows. Yeah. And all of the characters on the show, all the reporters, are just assholes. They're just they're just awful people in one way or another. Especially the main anchor is just an awful woman. But uh, they recently had an episode where Al Qaeda attacked the United States. Yeah, and they won at the end of the episode. Like Al Qaeda won and <laughs> defeated the United States. And I'm just like, how did you get that on the air? That's amazing. It was, it's just so uncompromisingly harsh well you know and all, that's and dark and yeah. that's that's what i love about it and the great thing is that the woman that they cast in the role is just a real former fox news anchor no oh, that's great she's not a she's not yeah. a comedian at all yeah well you love that yeah well and i and i'm definitely looking forward to watching the show but how do you feel in general about how the onion 
you know, and uh, when you were there, you know, set the tone of a specific type of satire and, and, no, and nothing ever really did it better. And then when, you know, when Stewart reinvents The Daily Show, he pulls from Onion Riders. I mean, I, it's... Well, yeah, he, he pulled Ben Carlin to be his head writer. Is he a buddy of yours? Ben, ben Carlin was the editor-in-chief of, uh, of The Onion for a couple of years before he went off to L.A. and then eventually made it back to New York to work with Jon Stewart. And I'm not claiming that The Onion gets credit for what Jon Stewart does. My God. Uh, no, of course uh, that, not. But that, what I'm that saying... That would be ridiculous. But it's interesting that, you know, that... But yeah, and same with The Colbert Report. My, my good buddy, Rich Dom, who was the editor of The Onion for many years, was one of the co-creators of or not, it, not one of the co-creators but one of the people who helped create the Colbert Report. And it makes sense because the onion the onion set this standard of, you know, effectively and succinctly satirizing the news format, you know, which, you know, which starts with newspapers and then, you know, becomes you know, I think even in the evolution of broadcasting that that type of reporting, you know, eventually becomes what is a news show. Yeah. So the idea Well, they also did radio and, right, and yeah. other things in the yeah. But but you know that it makes perfect sense that 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 John and Stephen would would draw from you guys. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, of of great moments in Onion history, uh, we we also had this thing. It wasn't Onion Radio, but well, it was. I guess it was part of the Onion Radio news. But it was a page on the Onions on the Onions website, which was the message, the weekly radio address from President George Bush. Right. Because he had one of those on whitehouse.gov. Sure. So we created one that looked just like whitehouse.gov, but it was on the Onion site. And, I mean, it looked exactly the same. You know, it was, it was imitating their, their exact layout and everything. And then would have these ridiculous things that, that Bush would say. And, we, and the editor-in-chief at the time was Scott Dickers, and he does a really good uh, George Bush. Uh -huh. And so, you know, we would say all these really offensive things, and it would be attributed to, to George Bush. And it was always satirical. It wasn't just silly. It was always satirical. Yeah. And I was really, you know, proud of it. Well, we get this letter. And this was right in the middle of, remember when Bush was in all that controversy over the fact that he tried to appoint, like, I don't know, like his personal accountant or something to the Supreme Court? Do you remember when that happened? Yeah. And, and so there was all this controversy about it. And right in the middle of that, we get this letter from the White House, legal offices. And it says, on your website, you know, the George W. Bush radio address. Yeah. You are using the presidential seal. Yeah. Which is illegal. You uh -huh. cannot use the presidential seal. Because we had just used it because we're imitating their style. Yeah, they yeah. had the presidential yeah. seal. And we, it's a cease and desist order. And so what Dickers did, and this is one of the great things in the history of The Onion, what he did is he just sent a copy of it to the New York Times. Or he CC'd a copy to the New York Times. And yeah. he also wrote back to them. Yeah, And he said, in these times of uh, legal uh, uh, troubles for the White House, I'm really surprised that anyone at the White House Legal Council has uh, time to worry about protecting the president from comedians. Uh, we've checked with our lawyers, and fr from what we understand, uh, uh, we're, we're not in violation of any law, and uh, so we're just going to keep doing it. And, <laughs> and, then the, and, then, and then the New York Times ran a thing about it, they ended up looking silly because they're you know wasting their time sending a letter to the onion when they should be dealing with the supreme court and um and the great great thing about we have that letter still framed on the wall at the onion offices it's signed by the you know president's lawyer and uh and we never got a follow up no follow up it wasn't even like oh we're well, we're sorry or anything it was just they just dropped it you won we we won <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious yeah and in in that White House, it's it's sort of interesting that you know, especially with that president George II, that you know, as a as somebody who myself 
we'll, we'll, we'll obviously, you know, focus and obsess on, on small negative things. And I have found recently that it's just a way for me to, uh, to get out of myself, to engage. Like, you know, life mm-hmm. becomes very overwhelming, but it's very petty that, you know, people like Nixon and people like Bush, you know, would you know, that even in his administration, someone would say like, you know, look at this thing. And I could totally see that president saying, well, let's do something about this. Mm-hmm. Let's let's show these little fuckers. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I don't. I don't know. Like I like to think that Bush was probably preoccupied with something slightly more important. I don't like, think so. Like clearing brush at his ranch or sure. something. Anything to get him out of himself and, and it was, focus a little bit. And it was probably it was probably some lawyer of his that just you know sent out a form letter. But uh, but uh, you know our fantasy is that we took on the White House. Yeah. No, you did. You know. I mean, it's it's legitimate. I mean, they were talking about the presidential seal. Yeah. And, and, we, just, and we said, look, to the best of our knowledge, we're allowed to use the presidential seal. If if we're not, you know, you can you can call our lawyers, but that's what our lawyers. That said. was it. No follow up. The other the the one thing that the there was a, a thing you ran on the cover that I I I remember like oddly more than <clears throat> other things, only because I think I was doing a bit that was similar was the uh, the Starbucks Phase Two thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah! How Starbucks is entering phase two. Of well, yeah. Operation. Well, you just showed a boarded up. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. They're, they're, they're like, they just had they announced we will no longer be serving coffee. We are currently preparing for phase two. <laughs> they, you know, having established these locations all around the country, and they never said what phase two was right. going to be. It was just some <laughs> nefarious unknown <laughs> yeah. thing. That, that you know. was so funny. You know, like they're going to open suicide squads there or something. I don't. I have no idea. Was that was, yours? No, no, that wasn't mine. That was, I think. Oh man, I used to know. I used to have the whole Onion catalog memorized. I could tell you every writer who wrote every one. Uh-huh. But I've been working there for twenty years, man. I can't remember anymore. I wish I could give credit to whoever wrote that. That was a good one. I yeah. think it, I think the person who wrote the story was Crusin. Yeah, but I can't remember who wrote the headline. What are your favorite headlines of the outside of the God one and and uh, you know how you handled uh, well the, the best Onion Onion headline I ever wrote. Right, I can tell you that. What was that? Well, it was it was after um, again we're going way back yeah. in time, but it was shortly after we moved to New York, and and shortly after Bush had had you know in theory won. Yeah, I'm I'm making your radio audience can't hear me, but I'm making finger quotes yeah. around the word won because yeah. he didn't win anything. Right, but he won the 2000 election, and uh, shortly after that. His daughters, who were college age, started engaging in all kinds of crazy kegger behavior mm-hmm. and getting themselves arrested and and you know doing you know partying and I don't know going on girls Von wild or whatever it was they did. Yeah. And so um, so Bush made this announcement to the press and he said, "Please lay off my family. You know, this is my personal family. This is my personal life that doesn't belong in the papers." Well, yeah. from the same you know party that had just spent two years. You know, examining every single detail of of, of 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 you know Monica Lewinsky's mouth, yeah, yeah, yeah. and just how how many inches you know deep it was, <laughs> right, and everything right. else. So, but they're like, no, it's just it's personal life. Sure, so leave sure. it out of the papers. Yeah. So immediately, Rob Siegel, the editor in chief at the yeah. time, he comes to the writing staff and he's like, okay, everybody, write write uh, uh, Jenna Bush jokes. Yeah. Write write jokes about Bush's daughters. And so we all sat down, and brainstormed a bunch of books, a bunch of jokes about about Jenna Bush. And and mine is the one that got through, and and got published. And it's my single favorite thing I ever got. But it was just a one liner. There was no article, but I loved it because it sounded like it was really intelligent, you know, political commentary. Yeah. But it wasn't. It was just like a just a cheap 
vagina joke. Yeah, is all it was. Yeah, it was vulgar as hell. Yeah, but it's but it was in the, it was framed as if it was some sort of sophisticated political joke, and the headline was. Jenna Bush's federally protected wetlands now open for public drilling. <laughs> yeah. And I was so happy about combining highbrow yeah, and lowbrow. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You know? And uh, people bring that up to me to this day. But I, th- I think the best thing The Onion ever did in terms, of, uh, in terms of what you said about people taking it seriously and not yeah. realizing it wasn't real is remember when Harry Potter, like there were, there were fundamentalist Christians saying it's, it's Satan, it's teaching sure. children about hate. Witchcraft. Yeah, it's witchcraft. Sure. So what we did was we ran this headline. This is, I think, even before we moved to New York. And it said, uh, you know, 20 million uh, uh, children under the age of 12 now uh, swelling the ranks of the Church of Satan because of Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, and it was all this misinformation about sure. just validating this ridiculous, yeah. you know, false belief. And we got not only, I mean, I, I, not only hundreds, but thousands of emails uh, from people that were of one of two types. One was fundamentalist Christians writing in to say, thank you for finally telling the truth. Right. I'm forwarding this to all the people in my church group. This finally, a major newspaper has come out and admit the truth. <laughs> and then and then we also got a bunch of emails from people saying, do you realize that like the Christian radio station in my town is reading that out loud and claiming it's real? And they're actually saying, and if you don't believe me, you can look it up on the web. It's www.theonion.com. <laughs> like they would even cite the source. <laughs> And 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 and, and, and <laughs> you know we got reports that people were quoting from it from the pulpit, really. And and it made me so happy, especially because and this is the best part of the story is my dad is a is a minister, you know. Yeah. But he's you know he's not a crazy Christian. He's like a reasonable you know, you know anti-war Bob Dylan. Well, listening. the Lutherans like if Garrison Keillor is any indication are are fairly you know decent. Yeah. My dad's my dad's into Garrison Keillor. Sure. So and uh, so so he went to this ecumenical meeting, right, of all the different churches in his town that they have once a month, and everybody went up and said, "I think the thing we need to talk about this meeting is this article, which proves the Harry Potter books are satanic," and you know because it had quotes from like you know Rowling saying, "The purpose of my books is to lead children into the worship of Satan and stuff like you know, you know, right. you know which was just fabricated," and. No one would believe it unless they were retards. Yeah, which which these people, you know, essentially were. And um, they were also looking to fuel their narrow-minded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were looking for anything to back it up. Yeah. So so anyway, so the first guy gets up and says, "Oh, I want to talk about this." The second guy gets up and says, "Well, I want to talk about this." My dad lays low. Yeah. Decides to go last. Yeah. Waits till everybody goes up and gives their spiel about this article. Then he comes up and he says, "I think we've learned a valuable thing today about." faith because there's a difference between faith and what you don't understand and and admitting your own doubt and and leaving it up to god to you know to uh to uh resolve the questions that you can't answer but there's another kind of faith which is when you're so willing to believe something that you will accept something is true without even looking into whether or not it is and um a good example is this article about Harry Potter, which everyone had been talking about. Right. right? He says, this article is, uh, is, uh, is in, in fact, not real. It's a hoax. And it's not even really a hoax because it's a, it's a piece of comedy that was written by a newspaper called The Onion in, in Madison, Wisconsin. And I happen to know this because my son is the head writer of that paper. 
And <laughs> and so I think, you know, this gives us a little lesson about like, you know, how much we rush to believe things we want uh-huh. to be true. And he gives, you know, he gives this whole sermon about it. And then he goes and sits down and he says, it's just silence in the room. Because <laughs> everyone in the room hates him. But they can't say anything because he's right. <laughs> He's right. You know, you know what I mean? You ever been in that situation oh, yeah, where everyone yeah, yeah. disagrees with you, but they can't yell at you because you're right? Yeah, and they can't admit how stupid they look. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, they're, they're, their brains are just going, well, how can we spin this misinterpretation into something that's, you know, that, that still has teeth? Yeah, <laughs> it, was just, it was great. He just defanged them all. Just that's pluck, awesome. pluck, 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 pluck. And, the, and did nobody he, said a word. Did he call you up and say, I'm proud of you? Yeah, he did. He, he did? And I said, Dad, I'm proud of you. <laughs> That's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, that's a fine father-son moment to have. Yes, it was. Well, I, you know, it's it's clear that the Onion has effectively changed, you know, you know, global media culture, and 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 you were part of that, which is exciting. Now, you know, we talked a little bit about what fuels us. Uh, you know, I I personally found that that much of of my anxiety and depression that you know my you know my father uh, is you know, bipolar. Uh, so the story goes and uh you know i had yeah, those to, diagnoses are always real up in the air aren't they well you, you know it's just weird because i had to investigate myself you know because right. he's very proud of the possibility that i might be depressive because you know i'm his son he's right, like that's right, my right. boy look at him you know yeah, it's yeah, suicidal yeah, 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 yeah. but <laughs> i <laughs> my suicidal boy yeah yeah but you know as time went on you know that in in the periods that i experienced of of depression like it's interesting that you cite uh, that that first heartbreak as being the trigger of what became a a, 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 a lifelong repeating, struggle, a, a repeating pattern. Yeah, I don't know about you know I I can't do any you know uh, you know pathology on it, but I just found that a lot of my depression was was really a a uh, an anxiety that like I get to a point where my anxiety uh, is is fueled by dread and worry and mm-hmm. and you know assuming the worst and and complete fear to the and, point and where it brings you into a major depression. right wh- yeah. which triggers a paralysis almost like yeah. the, you know i literally shut down yeah and and then i'm locked into this thing yeah i do the same exact thing mark and and uh it's lucky i haven't been fired i'll probably be fired any minute i'm always on the verge of losing my job because yeah. i'm missing a meeting yeah i'm not coming in uh you know i'm not turning my story in by deadline because i'm in a fetal position in my room in my room crying and it's hard to get pull out yeah it's very hard to pull out Almost but I've, impossible. I, you know l- you know luckily the people at the onion have been very supportive of me and my friends have been very supportive of me and i've and i've tried as best i can to transfer those feelings into the kind of dark humor that i respect and enjoy and that apparently other people relate to because you know we we do get fan letters from people saying that was the most depressing thing i ever read Thank you for writing it. It made me feel better. I'm very depressed myself, you know. And then someone will say, "Hey, Todd, this email is about what you wrote." You know, you well, that, have well, that's it. the weird thing is that, like, you know, in, in in thinking about well, it's like the blues, the cure for that's the blues. Right, that's is listening right. to the blues, right? But also being a blues performer or being the type of comic uh, voice that we are is is that I've grown to believe, and I and, and from talking to you, I think it's it's similar with you, is that the way we're going to make sense of the world for ourselves to feel like we have a place in it, and also to feel, you know, not overwhelmed by it, you know, because like if you let the world just keep you know coming at you in the way it's presented to us, uh, which is usually a lot of bullshit that you guys satirize, it it, it would be very hard not to think that you know what's the point. Well, I, I, I often say, if you're not at least a little bit depressed, 
you're just not fucking paying attention. Right. If you're not, I've said that. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Yeah. 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 Um, and I don't mean just about like some inju- political injustice. I mean just about the human condition that's right. in general. And, yeah. And, and, but I think there's a lot to support that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, that's why a lot of things were, were created. That there's, there's such a, an insane fear planted in us because of our knowledge of our own mortality that, you know, that, that, that's a, like a several, it's not just a double-edged sword. It's a multifaceted, you know, weapon of, of personal and, and mass destruction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's not just our knowledge of our own mortality, but our knowledge of what's going to happen before our mortality. Kicks what could in. happen? I mean, I mean, or, or just what goes on every day in the world. Sure. Well, yeah. You know, man's inhumanity to man right. or more likely women. Right. Um, uh, is it's, it's just horrifying. You know, you know, you pay attention to what's actually happening. It's, it's pretty bad, you know? Right. But, but there's beautiful things too. Like this moment between you and I, Mark. Well, it's, so, but how so, do you, how so do you, things make up for it. You know? Right. But how, how are you at, uh, at experiencing that? Like I find that when I internalize, you know, when I'm in my head with the depression, that there's some safety in it because, you know, I, I'm familiar with it. But when I have human experience like you and I are having, or when I do have the, the, uh, uh, the 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 distance from my own brain to actually say like this is a joyful moment. I don't know what the fuck to do. With you don't it. know what the fuck to do with the joy, <laughs> yeah. Mark. Yeah, the very subject that you just brought up is what I was talking about uh, with my therapist last session, and what I will be talking with her about just as soon as we as soon as I leave here and head there. What's that? That that very thing. What do you do when you're actually happy? I feel like crying. Yeah, I and, do too. I do too. As a matter of fact, it's kind of a miracle that I mean that I'm not crying right now. Like I cry almost every time I talk. Um, uh, you know, we used to joke about if we ever get together and do this podcast, we'll both just collapse into a vortex of yeah. of misery and just vanish from the space time continuum, and everyone will be like, "What happened to them? Yeah, they're gone." Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, neither one of us has shed a tear yet. So uh, but I think we got that going for us. We're professionals at this, and and I think that like I'm trying to identify the the <clears throat> you know what those tears are. But and, no, but what you're saying though about not knowing what to do. Let me just relate an anecdote. Yeah, a friend of mine was uh, going through a hard time. She yeah. calls me up and she's like, "I need a friend right now. Can I come over?" So right. she comes over, and we're talking about you know one of one of the worst things that I had personally gone through, and um. Uh, and I was saying, you know, at the time, somebody came up to me and said, Todd, you're looking at the world so negative. Look at the positive things in the world. Listen to the birds in the trees. Can you hear the birds in the trees? The birds are singing. Listen to the birds singing. And I said to the guy, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but when I hear those birds singing, I'm not hearing the happy twittering of happy little creatures. I'm hearing the screams of territorial animals that are either competing for mates or are competing for, you know, some sort of uh, feeding uh, territory uh, against against other uh, competitors, which will starve them out if they don't win. And and in the dog in in the kill or be killed, eat or be eaten you know, cauldron of murder that constitutes the natural world. And that's what I hear when I hear the birds in the trees. And also that you're awake. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and so I started relating yeah. you know, this to my friend. And my friend said, yeah, but, but when birds are 
you know, she, she's like, oh, but yeah, but you were like in a really bad space that time. So you were, you were hallucinating. You were, you were, you were, you were hearing something that wasn't there. You were hearing these frightening cries of the birds instead of the happy songs. And I said, well, I was definitely, you know, in a depressed state, but I was, uh, you know, I was, what I was hearing, I wasn't hearing sounds that weren't there. I was hearing the real sounds of the birds. And, and, and she's like, but you were wrong, right? Because when birds sing, they're happy. And I said, well, technically, they're singing because of territorial. And she just cut me off. And she goes, Todd, 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 don't ruin birds for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, you're right. Fair enough. I'm not going to ruin birds for you. Go ahead and think they're happy. Well, you, you seem like you're, you know, at least in this hour and, and even last or the other night, the night before last, you, you seem, you know, uh, like, and I, I know the the waves of depression and the waves of of a, uh, of a depressed personality that you know you're experiencing some comfort now, at least today. Well, you know, I got a couple of good things going for me since since the, the last two years have been really hard, but some things are going for me now. Well, what so. do you want to talk about this hotel? Uh, this hotel is a hotel I've been to once before. Very generic. Uh, uh, microwave in the room, though. Microwave in the room. And free breakfast. Nice flat screen TV. Yeah. Free breakfast. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not a bad place. It's, yeah. It was quite comfortable. Um, and I've only been in this hotel once before and never never since. So this is this is my second time. And uh, and you know what? Maybe we'll talk about maybe we'll talk about uh, the day I was here uh, on a sequel to this podcast. How about that? I don't know if I'm I don't know if I feel like talking about that right now. But uh the point is this is a big day uh for, for the therapy of Todd, thanks to uh the help of his friend Mark Barron and I, I sure appreciate it. Well I'm glad you're doing all right, man. Yeah. It was great thanks. talking to you. That was Todd Hansen at the beginning of March. Uh and underneath beneath the surface of what we what what we were talking about it was a, it was a great conversation it was great to see him it was great to learn that stuff about him about his sense of humor about the onion the history of the onion but underneath what we were talking about was a much bigger um event an emotional event an actual event that took place in that very hotel that we were talking in in the very hotel that we were having the conversation that we had, something had happened. And it, it was the first time that Todd had been back there since that event. And I didn't know whether or not we would ever talk about it. I was more than willing to, uh, to use that conversation as the Todd Hansen episode. Uh, but I thought that if he wanted to talk about moving through that event or discussing it in a public way, that we could, we could do it. And he thought that he might. So I waited until the beginning of June, the end of May, the beginning of June, where we had this second conversation in Todd Hansen's apartment in Brooklyn. And he discusses uh, what happened uh, in that hotel room, in the comfort uh, of his apartment. And it was another uh, great conversation. Uh, and I'm so glad we had it. So here's the rest of the, the Todd Hansen uh, conversations. been a couple months since I talked to Todd Hansen at the, uh, can we mention the name of the hotel? 
I don't think it'd be good publicity for that. Yeah, I don't think it would either. I suppose they probably would prefer if we didn't. But we are now in your apartment. That is, uh, it's great. This is an apartment with history in it. Uh, you know, you, you know Todd pretty well now. If you if you've listened to the last uh, hour of conversation, now this is two months later. We're in Todd's apartment here in Brooklyn. It's got those great wooden shutters. I love it, man. You know, like I was telling you before, this is kind of the closest I've ever had to a home. I mean, I lived, it's just a rental, but. Yeah, but you've I've got. I've lived some, here 10 years now. I've lived here longer than I lived anywhere else. Some in my great life. art. Great art. You know, some, some records I have, a lot of CDs. Which of those records? I've, you, got, uh, I've got that Replacements record. I've got that Modern Lovers record. I've got that Ramones record. Um, do you have uh, Wild and Crazy Guy by. I had Steve it. Martin. I had it. I've got that Beastie Boys album. Yeah. Boss Hog, I've got that. What is that? That's the first Boss Hog EP. Yep, not the EP, but I have a, a, some other thing of theirs. But uh, Miles Davis, I have the Jack Johnson Sessions. Ah. Uh, yeah. I've got that uh, R.L. Burnside record. That's such a great record. Uh, With the John Spencer yeah, Blues Explosion. Yeah, Blues Explosion with a backup band for, for R.L. on that record. Well, you know, I, we are not unlike each other. Well, I've always really related to your comedy, Mr. Marin. Well, this uh, the happiness poster. See that 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 movie? I enjoy a great deal. Yeah, I mean, I thought that movie was hilarious. I laughed. Like, yeah, see, continually that's just through it. that I, movie, and a lot of people were like, "How could you laugh?" Right, and I did as well. And and yeah. I also I'm the kind of person that uh, when people talk about Altman's shortcuts, I say that was a celebration of life, not unlike happiness, a celebration of life. But uh, not everybody's cup of tea. Well, I, the, the reason we ran into each other and ended up talking at the sort of near the bell house where you were doing the podcast. Right, and, I, and we had been talking about doing a show. Yeah. Now, when I, when I was staying there, I had no idea uh, what that place uh, meant to you. I had no idea that going there would be uh, a sort of uh, monumental and cathartic experience f for you. Uh, and we talked a bit after the last conversation we had and a bit before. And, uh, and now, you know, after a few more conversations on the phone, you know, here we are in, in your house and we have a little more reflection about what that place means and what that is. And what does it, what was it to you? Well, like I said, I, I'd only been there once in my life and I had no intention of ever coming out of it when I checked in. Um, that was in, you know, it's like January of 2009. You went there to end it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it, it was what uh, the doctors call a intent to die suicide attempt as Not, opposed to a call for help right. or cry for attention or what's whatever. It, what makes, what's the difference? Well, you don't want anybody to stop you from pulling it off so you check into that place not too far from the house shitty well, hotel yeah i didn't want uh anybody to find me i i lived here with my roommate brian at the time one of my dearest friends and uh i didn't want him to deal with it right here yeah and uh, i figured anonymous hotel you know maid comes in freaks out for two seconds they call the paramedics or the cops or whoever deals with it. i left a note for the cops yeah um, so walk me through the day well I mean it was a 
it was a day that it wasn't so much a day as it was like you know years and years yeah uh you know we we talked the last time about how much i i mean the reason the reason we ran into each other at the bell house is because you you said as part of you, you were reading the mail and some somebody had complained about that you weren't focusing enough on laughs or something on your right, podcast right and you said oh fuck you man you know it's sometimes it's not about the funny sometimes it's about the sad yeah and as i almost always do well always all, not almost always always when, when i watch you on stage yeah. i related so much to what yeah. you're saying and i went and i went yeah, like yeah. that little woo, and uh, and you immediately knew that it was me. Yeah, because <laughs> we've talked about all that stuff before. Yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. it is about the sad, and I've been sad my whole life. And yeah, I had I had had enough. But uh, you know, how long have you been thinking about it? I mean, how long have you been thinking about you know actively doing it? Where the where the where the depression was so relentless? Yeah, you know, how long have you been had you been planning that? Well, I mean, I hadn't ever really allowed myself to plan it until maybe 36 hours before. I mean, there was certain, certain shit I threw away, whatever. You know, I didn't want people to find going through my shit, whatever, you know, private stuff. Really? But, uh, so you, you but actually... But not much, not much. What was that, like writings? Uh, some, some, yeah. Some, some pictures writings, of some you pictures, and drag and... The, the, all the drag photos yeah, went yeah, yeah. Right straight to the The garbage. butt plugs gone. Butt plugs were in the curbside. <laughs> Certain things, I was like, I can't, you know, no one can see. Know that party. The, the, yeah, no one can know about yeah. the little Bo Peep outfit. <laughs> yeah. So I hid that. In no, the, but in all seriousness, it was mostly writing? Yeah, and I trashed it. You know, I trashed some things. And, um, and that was like the night before. And then, uh, I mean, but I had been in a, in a horrible state of depression. I mean, you, you know what it's like to go nuts. And and you certainly I, I know, know what it's know, like I to be to, to be melancholy and yeah, yeah. But but have you ever been through like a major depression? What they call a major well, depression? Well, you know, I lived with a my father was a manic, is a manic depressive, and, and and my bouts with depression, I think that you know my suicidal ruminations were more, you know, just uh, relief based. I I never got really, I, I never felt like it's been a long time since I was so heavy hearted that I couldn't get out of bed, but I did feel hopeless. Yeah, you know, the, I, the hopelessness is the thing, and 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 I and I know that feeling to a degree, but I I never like I, I was always able to eventually get through it by draining other people. <laughs> 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 well, I don't know. Maybe I did you deplete I didn't feel everybody? Comfortable depleting any people anymore? Maybe I felt. I mean, I certainly have done that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've leaned on other people, and I've leaned on other people since, you know. I mean, my my, my best friend Carol and her husband Tony, you know Tony. Yeah. Those, those uh, and and it was really other people, you know. I mean, you know, like I say, it was, I mean, my mind was made up. It wasn't like I was, I, I, when, I when I did, and it was through no fault of my own that I ended up waking up. So you decide 36 hours, and you throw away some writing, you throw away some artifacts that you don't want found. Uh, you, you, what you, ch you call the hotel? I mean, I had never checked into a hotel in the neighborhood. I didn't know, I didn't know where to go. I don't know why I went to the local, the I just went to the closest one. Right. I mean, I should have, I guess I should have gone to the, the palace or the whatever. The nicest one? Yeah, the, the, I should have yeah. gone to the grand no, no, whatever you're, in you're, Manhattan. You're, but I think you're a, you know, you're, you're an authentic guy. So, you know, you thought. I well, wasn't interested gonna, in. Anything. I'm gonna do this. I just want to get it over with. Like you, know? you go, you go to a, a, a hotel that that 
seems that it could accommodate that. You're not going there because, you know, you're happy. <laughs> well, um, um, it's a fine uh, establishment, okay, as fine, I'm sure fine, you can fine. say. So fine. But it's a little weird going in there uh, to do that podcast because I'm like, well, you know, at least the room is going to be totally different. And I was like, well, no, it's the exact same layout in every way. You know, mm-hmm. same little sign, you know, next mm-hmm. to the next to the bed that says relax. Yeah. Um, but you know, the wind, the, the window was open. That, do you the, remember that? Si- you it, remember that detail? Yeah, from, I do. When, yeah. <laughs> when you went, what'd you bring with you? I, I didn't bring, I didn't bring anything with me. I mean, I, I brought my pajamas and a robe for some reason. I don't know why. And then I brought, I brought a pad of paper and a pen and, uh, and, uh, you know, a, a uh, canister of pills and, uh, and a bottle of scotch whiskey. Had because you done- I had read that you need the you need another central nervous system depressant like whiskey or alcohol to to uh, ensure that the pills work. Um, so you did some research benzos. on 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 what pills? Yeah. Mm. Which ones? Well, uh, I didn't do good enough research because what pills? Uh, Xanax. Yeah. Yeah. I took I took uh, I took sixty. I read on the internet that six. Combined with being drunk, it would be enough. So I took 60. But um, I guess the shit on the internet was, I mean, I don't, maybe I'm the first person to point out that they discovered a factual error on the internet. But uh, apparently, you know, maybe that information wasn't correct. Or, did you, did, or maybe, I mean, nobody really knows. Like I talked to the doctors and they, they're kind of like, we don't really know why it didn't work. So you drank a bottle of scotch and took 60 Xanax. I mean, and, and I'm not an alcoholic or anything. I'm not even a drinker, man. I mean, I'm not even like a big drinker. I don't, I'm not one of those people that responds that much to alcohol. But uh, it was just, you know, it was like, it was like the same thing as the hotel, man. It wasn't, it wasn't, there was no aesthetics to it. It was just like utilitarian. That, that was the whole closest hotel. I went online, checked to see if they'd let me check in early. They said yes. They had empty rooms. You know, I went there, I drank the, the booze rather methodically out of a water, a tall water glass. I think it took like two and a half tall water glasses to finish the bottle. And it was really weird, man. I was just drinking it like water and it was going down. I mean, I hadn't slept well for weeks and I only had, you know, nightmares. And then you'd wake up from the nightmare and you're in, you're back in real life, which is even worse than your nightmare was. And, and, um. I don't know. It was weird. My body did not reject the alcohol is what I'm trying to say. You know, even though normally I can't, I can't have more than three drinks without being, you know, sick. You probably sick. had so much adrenaline going through you. I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know about the physiology, but I just drank it like it was, you know, like water. It was just like, it went right down. Yeah, and then, and then, and then what, you knock back the pills? Well, I drank, I drank half the bottle, and then yeah. I took the entire mouthful of pills, and I drank the other half of the bottle. And yeah laid down and went to sleep what about the note well i left it i left two notes i left a note for uh you know my family and and friends and loved ones or whatever a short note and uh and then i left another just informational note for the cops i mean all this stuff later I'm sorry, you're going to have to put an edit in this podcast. Because no. I, I just, 
I just came to a stop for some reason. I don't know what I meant. I didn't. I don't know what I was going to finish saying. I said all this stuff well, later, I and I don't you, even know what that. I think you were going to talk about um, that. You know, you you got when when you. I mean, what you I'm trying can, to say is that the note, the note to the cops, like you know, was a red flag to them because it wasn't a sentimental thing. Like I'm looking for help. It was like, it was like, please call the following people, you know, family, was, friends. It, it, you know, it was just like numbers of people that they would need. And what did the other note say? It said, um, it said, uh, well, Marin, it said. Um, it was very short, and it just it just said that uh, I have been very lucky to have received so much love from so many people, and I was really grateful. And I didn't mean to hurt anybody, but I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I had this sickness for twenty years, and and um, I was sorry, but that it wasn't anybody else's fault because they'd all been way more than nice to me. I mean, nicer to me than I, than, than most people get. And, and certainly more than I would, than anybody deserves, you know, or anybody has any right to expect anyway. You know, I mean, I, I felt very, very privileged. And so I, I didn't want to send that. I didn't want to send that love into a, into a bad place. But of course I, I did. I mean, what else could you do? I mean, I don't know. It didn't make sense, is what I'm trying to say. So you write these two notes, and then you went to sleep. Yeah, I went to sleep, and uh, and then I hear a maid banging on the door, and I'm like, shit. You know, I checked in early because they said that. You know, I did set this up on purpose. They said that the maid would not come at the normal time, but the maid must not have got the message. Now they're you know they're interrupting the thing. What if I get discovered? I don't know what's going to happen. Well, what I didn't understand, Mark, was that it was actually more than 24 hours later. It, the, the maid had not come by mistake. It was, it was the next day. Yeah. And nobody knows why I was alive at that time. I wasn't supposed to be. I shouldn't have been, but I was. How did you feel? I felt like, fuck. I mean, I, well, I didn't know that it was the next day, and I just felt like, fuck, this is going to interrupt it. It's going to wreck it. Right. And I tried to, you know, talk my way out of it you know so like, as not to be without discovered opening the door well no i mean i had to open the door but like, i tried to hide the notes whatever yeah. you, you know but the point is that i was like absolutely blotto i mean it was, it was 26 hours later or something but i was i was on so much benzos that i was i mean i was hard, i was barely yeah coherent right and my memories of that maid coming in the room are like you know, opening the door, talking to someone, you know, just kind of like, yeah, I, I know those kind of memories, blackout memories. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I don't have any experience with blackouts, but, um, just fragments, but yeah, but at that time, yeah, it was just, it was like, I can barely, anyway, they eventually found me at my house. So they, I don't know if the hotel threw me out and I was like, fuck, where do I go now? You know, you know, I, I just wanted to lay down and let the, let the pills finish. So somehow or another, you, you, you left it, and you remembered to throw the notes away, though? Well, yeah, but, I mean, they were in my pockets, oh. you know, blah, blah, blah. But, okay, um, so they were just in your pockets. So you, somehow you end up here. Yeah, and my, uh, my roommate, uh, well, my, my neighbor, April, yeah. saw me on the street. I mean, as she was walking out down to the street, walking down the stairs, and I was on the landing, 
And apparently I had been trying to open, <laughs> open the door, but couldn't work the key because I was so, you know, um, sedated yeah. that I could barely stand or yeah. whatever. And I couldn't hardly talk normally. And, uh, and she's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm fine. I'm fine. And so she said, all right. And she laughed. But then she thought about it. And she came back and I was still fumbling with the key, you know. And then she said she noticed that my shoes were on the wrong feet. And that I had a bloody nose. I don't know if I fell. I don't know, you know, I must have tried to throw my clothes on real quick before I answered the door at the hotel. I don't know. But um, I don't remember having the wrong shoes on, the, on my feet or hurting my face. I don't know. Maybe I fell down while I was staggering home. I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I ended up back here. Maybe they, put, maybe they thought I was a drunk because they found the empty bottle of scotch. Right. Um, and they just thought, oh, well, pour him into a cab. Yeah. Maybe they had my address because of when I checked in. I don't know how I ended up back here. Yeah. But anyway, they eventually, my roommate figured it out because he, uh, he, he noticed that the cat food was on the floor, Mark, open, where the cats could get it. And that's what, uh. That's when it made him figure it out. You got this cat here. Yeah, this is one of the two guys. I was trying to... That's the other thing the note said to the cops. It said, please find my cat to home. But, um... So you, know, you know, despite the... This uh, self-serving nature of the note, you know, like, it's not your fault, don't be... Don't be hurt by this. It's really all for the best. The fact is, you know, I left the cat food on the floor for the, for the cats to eat so that when nobody fed them, they'd have some, some food before uh, somebody had to find them a home or whatever. But I did abandon the cats, you know? I mean, writing on the note, find my cats a home, it just, it's, I mean, I abandoned them, you know? And they, those little guys depend on me. And I abandoned everybody else in the note, you know? I mean, I... I said, thank you for all the love you've shown me, but I didn't show it back. Yeah. I abandoned them. And that's why now I know that, you know, it was the wrong thing to do. Um, but when I woke up, I did not think that. I was very upset that I had been found and was, and was not in the hotel. Um, and when they told me, well, yeah, we're calling the ambulance, I was like, no, 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 who don't. Who your roommate? Yeah. But, um, you know, and then you wake up, and you're in emergency, uh, you're in the uh, emergency room, and then you're in ICU, and they, you know, the doctors work on you for five days until you're out of danger because you're what, you know, I don't, I don't know the medical details, but the guy comes in five minutes a day, you know, you're the doctor in charge of you, mm -hmm. and during his five minutes, he, he has a clipboard, and he says, well, your whatever, whatever levels are only supposed to be at 75 and they're at 7,500 high levels you know so we're going to try to get those down you know and then he comes in and he says now they're down to right 4,500 yeah, or whatever yeah. you, you know and uh, then uh, then you spend 30 days in the locked ward where they won't where they take away your shoelaces because they quite correctly know that you 
do not want to stick around, don't want to be helped. And you felt that through that whole time? The only thing, you know, I, I did, Mark. And, I mean, like I said, I, I had made up my mind, you know. I, mean, I had been depressed for decades. Um, it wasn't an impulsive thing. It wasn't a... I mean, I was, I, I was in a horrible, horrible state of, of, of depression. Um, but, uh, but it wasn't impulsive. You know, I say 36 hours before, but that's not really true. You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I had been... It had, it had been many months that I had, I had been in an extreme anxiety and, dep- and depressive state where I could, I could barely function or essentially couldn't really function. And, um, and that had happened before, you know, and, uh, and I just didn't think it was ever going to stop happening. So I, I, didn't, I didn't allow myself to think about it as a, a plan until sort of the last minute because if I would have put more thought into it I, I would have realized I guess that uh, it was the wrong thing to do but uh, but I don't want people to think that I that I was impulsive it wasn't an impulsive thing yeah and and now okay so you're in 30 days of walk up then then what started to shift your well you know it was it was certainly it certainly wasn't any therapy provided by any doctors and, and I mean I was on a lot of drugs just to sedate me because I was in such an anxiety state I couldn't sleep and you yeah. know everything else but but it wasn't any medicine they gave me and it wasn't any therapy they gave me it was other people it was it was other people man there's so many people came to visit me so many comedians came to visit me weirdly enough you know um my s- some of them were people that I had known for a long time yeah you know and other were people that i had only met a few times yeah um but then there were certain people that came over and over again you know like carol kolb yeah she came almost every single well she came every single every single day unless she had to be on set for her show at the at the time uh in which case she sent tony you know and um And it was people like that just sticking by me. I mean, they'd come and try to cheer me up, and I'd argue with them. And I'd say, no, no, you're wrong. I should be dead. But, uh, I mean, the way I look at it, I guess, Marin, is that, um, you know, I didn't choose to come into the world the first time. You yeah. know, I didn't, I didn't, I was just sort of found myself in that circumstance because my parents had sex, you know. And it was kind of the same way this time at age 40. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now. And I think of it as a second birthday. That's what I call it with my friends or whatever. Because I didn't choose it anymore than I chose the first one. It was not, it was not anything I would have opted to do. But I found myself in that situation. And so many people showed a lot of love, you know. And uh, I just thought, well, I can't disrespect that, you know. I mean, it's it's too special of a thing, and it's too rare of a thing in the world to take what little of it there is and transmute it into pain yeah. by abandoning all those people that yeah. you know they're trying to tell you they love you, you yeah. know. Yeah. And somehow or another, that 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 kind of yeah. It, it, I mean, when I finally checked out, I had no. 
I really had nothing. Like I had no, I had not really changed my mind about anything. I wasn't really wrong about any of the circumstances that were going on at the time. I mean, you know, um, everything that was going wrong was in fact going wrong and continued to be going wrong. But, um, I, you know, I, I kind of, I had like two things. And the first thing was like, I had, I had decided that all these people's love was, was worth preserving. And therefore I had a will to live. And that was, and, but I didn't have a desire to do anything. I mean, you know, I had no idea what the future would hold. It's like being a baby born. And, um, you know, so for the last two years, I've been kind of crawling back from that. And, uh, man, I'll tell you the whole first year, all I did practically was like sit on this couch every night and I had my cell phone and I would just call. And if I didn't get anyone in line, I'd leave a message and call the next number. And if I didn't get anyone in line, I'd leave a whole bunch of messages. And then somebody would call me back or they wouldn't. But I would lay here on this couch holding the phone like a teddy bear waiting for it to ring, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if somebody called back, then I'd cry on the phone with them. And if nobody called back, then I'd cry alone, you know? And it was, uh, you know, it was like that for a long time. Um, and then there was the first anniversary of it, you know? And that was like second birthday. First, second birthday. Or mm-hmm. second, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then this last January was second birthday again. That, that whole first year, I didn't... I mean, it's just miserable every day, you know. I mean, but but were I was like doing, not gonna. Were you taking any medication? Are you going to oh, see a therapist? No, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, I had been, I had been, um, before. Yeah, I mean, I, I had been, uh, I had been seeing a guy ever since I moved to New York, you know, which was the only time in my life I'd ever had enough money to afford to see a dude. Um, prior to that, I had seen some counselors or whatever when I could afford it, but I didn't have. You know, I mean, I didn't have access to, like, regular therapy. Even people with really good health insurance, I think they get, like, 10 sessions a year or something. I mean, it's like, yeah. I don't know what that's yeah. supposed to do to help anyone. You sort of have to pay out the nose if you want to live. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know this, right? Yeah. So, um, I had been, but I'd been doing that, you know? Yeah. I'd been doing that for all those years, and yeah. it just it seemed like whatever. So, yeah, so, I'm, you know, I was back doing that, and I was medicated, and, it, you know, they eventually took me off most of the medication as I got better and better. But that whole first year, it was just miserable every day. And the second year, I actually started counting the days that were quote-unquote good days. Um, because I realized that I hadn't counted the previous year, but they were surely, I mean, I don't know, somewhere between zero and ten, probably closer to zero than ten. And so this, the, the, the second year, like, I realized, well, I've had, like, five good days. And then I just kept tracking them in my head. And then if I had a sixth one, but a good day just meant a day that I wasn't completely, totally miserable. I mean, it wasn't really a very high standard for a good day. I think it's important to know that when you're in this state, there's, there's no trick of your mind that's going to turn the fucking boat around. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of. It's um, just kind of an endurance. Right. That you, you just wait it out. Yeah. Yeah. But like today, you know, when I, I met you in the street, you got your Madra shorts on, you got your hat on, you got the Roxy music and your iPod yeah. buds. You seemed like you were moving pretty quickly. You seemed pretty chipper. Well, 
I got to tell you, you know, that second year, I ended up breaking 100 that year. Good I days. Didn't, I didn't, yeah. Well, I mean, and by good days, like I said. I hear you, yeah. But I didn't think I was going to get anywhere near that. I mean, halfway through the year, I was only up to like 30 or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when I broke 100, it was kind of a big deal. And this year, I haven't even counted. But some really good things have happened, you know. Um, some really very special things have happened. And uh, like what? Well, I fell in love with a really amazing chick. Mm. That fucking changes things, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, everything had been going south for a long time, but uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I don't know. The way I look at it, I'm like, what, two, almost two and a half years old now? Yeah. In this You're a big boy. So I'm getting, I'm, yeah, I'm getting ready for toilet training soon. You know, I have object permanence. I've had that for a good while. And, uh, I, you know, I got some things going for me. So I figure, you know, I don't know what the future will hold at all. And you're writing? I'm, I'm thinking about all kinds of new stuff, you know. It's a, it's a new situation. Yeah. And um, I'm talking to some people about a, maybe a book. And I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I mean, I'm 42. I got my whole life ahead of me. Yeah, and you look good, man. I'm trying. I'm hanging in there. The last couple of times I talked to you, you, you know, you're very um, earnest and deliberate and uh, raw and honest. But, like, I know, like, I got choked up there like 10 minutes ago. And uh, I've been around. I, I, am, I can read. Uh, a, I can feel deep sadness in others. And, and right now, uh, you don't have it. You're right. <laughs> well, fuck, dude. I'm so glad that you're all right today. Well, I, I am glad, too. And, and I want to... Uh, I mean, I, I owe all of those people more than I can, by definition, ever repay. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of impotent to do anything but say mm. thanks. Well, that's I think that's a deep thing. And I, and I don't think you could you should see it as a debt as much as that, you know, that, you know, you are alive and 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 you're and look at you. You're bringing joy to people's lives. I mean, people love you, but, you know, you, you give it back now. I mean, I can feel that you're you're capable of that. I mean, that's a big change, you know, that you can see past your own darkness to uh, to share some light, you know, because you always did that with your humor, you know, and I'm sure everybody was concerned. For a long yeah, time. Yeah. Well. You're a good guy, dude. You light up a room. What are you going to do? You're just going to have to live with it. <laughs> I light up a room with my, uh, with my dour. No, you know what I'm saying. Worldview of human, that, that, of the human condition. Yes. But, uh, but you know, that's, uh, that's shining a light in the tunnel. When, when you just, when you are just the tunnel, <laughs> it's a completely different energy, but you know, on a good day, all that cat needs is that bag. You know, uh, one of the many things that I, I did learn during my insane reading of everything on Wikipedia <laughs> about, about uh, depression was that uh, one of the highest level of the defense mechanisms is humor. Uh, so we're operating at a high level? Yeah. 
All right. According to Wikipedia, I don't know. Can you trust him? Depends. Well, I mean, you, you can't trust that one site where you got the information about how many pills to take. Did you call them? <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you get back to them? I, no, I mean, I, I asked the doctor. He's like, no, you took way too many oh, pills. Okay. Right. We, I'm not sure. I don't know. That would be a, uh, that'd maybe be a, you know. Maybe I threw up in my sleep, Mark. I don't know. Whatever it was, man, it was. Uh, it it was wasn't a, my fault. Whatever it was, it was. A, it was a gift. Do you do you, do you attribute any higher powerness to this situation, or you haven't gone that far? Well, I mean, I do in the sense of all those people coming to see me. I mean, it was you know, they were all trying to cheer me up, and I was just arguing with them. You know, they're like, no, no, it's going to be okay. I'm like, no, you don't like, understand. Uh, you, it's actually not. It sounds like both my marriages. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we do. No, but, it, but, um, but they were right and I was wrong. It's luckily you didn't have the energy to fully uh, be that convincing in the argument. It's hard to, to make that argument from a hospital bed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of thought that sort of lended a certain amount of credibility to my assertions, you know? Uh, but um, it's, it's a component of mental health is a slight uh, is a slight inability to see things accurately. You see things just as you know. The pe- people uh, who are mentally healthy consistently test uh, just as you know. Uh, they have a slightly higher opinion of themselves than they're actually worth, or they think that their life is just a little bit better, or they think that some looming disaster isn't as bad as it really is. It's a survival like, mechanism. Yeah. Now, what we talked about, though, that that you wanted to make sure that we, we, we talked about... I just wanted to say I'm sorry to all those people. I mean... About the selfishness. Yeah. I mean, you know, like... I mean, I talked about this a little bit, that I had left this note saying, oh, you know, I'm really sorry. But that, that wasn't good enough, you know? Um, it was... It's a selfish thing to do to take people's love and... And not give it back, you know? And if you abandon them, then the, all of the investment of love that they gave you is, you just transmute it into pain. And it's not fair to them. So, I mean, not only do I thank all of those people, but I also apologize to them. I mean, I, I have, I've said this to all of them many times, and they're sick and tired of hearing it, to be honest. But I, I just thought it was important to say... Not only thank you, but I'm sorry. And, uh, and it will not happen again. Well, I love you, man. Well, I think you're a wonderful human being, Mr. Mark Marin. And uh, every time you tell your jokes, I relate. Well, now, so thank you. I mean, many people have said to me, you know, oh, I'm depressed. And I, you know, yeah. I, I love reading about you know reading the onion because it's so much darker than anything else yeah, and it's yeah. willing to to be honest about the real nature of things and and you know maybe if that helps people i don't know you you're you doing that same thing has helped me well i i, I appreciate hearing that man all right and, and it was great talking to you yeah i, I feel uplifted you uh, yeah all right well that's it that is the two conversations I had with Todd Hansen. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am that he is still with us. He's a brilliant guy, sweet guy, and a very funny man, and a very honest guy that came to grips with a lot of stuff. And I wish him the best. And I wish him, really, just I just hope that he continues to, to flourish. 
and and I want I hope that this spoke to a lot of you people that suffer from depression because because I, I have it in my family, and uh, you know it is a it, it's it's a it's a horrendous burden, and uh, it it really requires a, a hell of a fight. But I, I, as I said, I'm thrilled that Todd wanted to talk to me about this stuff. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please go to WTFPod.com uh, for any of your WTF Pod needs. I feel horrible doing this at the end of this show. You know, maybe we don't do it. Maybe we just let it sit. Thanks for listening.